It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hi, Cardinal fans. I'm Ozzie Smith. Smith, corks one into right down the line. It may go. And you're listening to the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. Here's your host, Brett McMillan. Hello and welcome to the September 18th edition of the program. As I speak to you, it is a significant day in Cardinal history. 50 years ago today, Ray Washburn did this. A thrilling moment at Candlestick. Can Ray Washburn do it? Two men are out in the ninth on a no-hitter. Here's a pitch. Fly ball. Center field. Flood coming in. No-hitter. No-hitter. Ray Washburn. The first Cardinal pitcher in 27 years, and he's being mobbed. And the same scene that the Giants put on last night is being repeated around that mound. Holy cow! A no-hitter of the San Francisco Giants in San Francisco. Here's what's even more amazing. It was just a single day after Giants hurdler Gaylord Perry had no-hit the Cardinals. First time ever in MLB history that there were back-to-back no-nos thrown in the same ballpark. Ray Washburn is going to be our guest in just a moment. He'll talk about that epic day 50 years ago today as this podcast is released, September the 18th, 1968. Hopefully we've got more epic days coming up here very soon in the 2018 postseason. Do not miss a minute of playoff action here at Bush Stadium. Tickets for potential wild card and division series home games go on sale Thursday, September 20th. You can get yours at cardinals.com slash postseason. Again, that is a potential wild card game if it would be held here in St. Louis. And then any division series games in St. Louis to cardinals.com slash postseason. Ray Washburn pitched for 10 years in the big leagues. Nine of those were with the Cardinals, and he was a three-time National League pennant winner, a two-time World Series champion, and the author of that no-hitter, September the 18th, 1968. Fifty years removed from it, Ray and I discussed that historic day. The entire 1968 season, Bob Gibson did what he did, the 1.12 ERA. We've been talking about it all summer. And also, it was just the year of the pitcher across baseball. Some great performances in both leagues. We get Ray's opinion on that and why it was so. Why pitching was just so good in that summer of 68. Here he is, Ray Washburn on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. We kick it off with a question about what it was like to not only throw a no-hitter, but throw the second straight no-hitter in Candlestick Park in a row. I didn't see Gaylord's no-hitter because it was a late night night game in San Francisco. So I had done the pregame. Start of the game, I went back to the hotel early because we had an early, like a 12 o'clock start the next afternoon. So I didn't know about the no-hitter until I got up the next the next morning. <laughs> At what point did you realize that you were, in fact, throwing a, a no-hitter? At what inning? What inning? Yeah. Tell, tell me this. Tell me. The scoreboard's how big? You're looking at it every inning. 
guess you know every inning you haven't gave up any hits. I mean, I can't believe it. You don't know you're not pitching an old hitter when it gets down to six to seven. But you do realize, though, you're getting close enough, maybe. By the seventh, you got nine out. Then you get those three outs, you only got six outs to go. Then you realize how close you can be. But then you get down to the ninth inning, and you're looking at three outs to go. But then you're looking at who's coming to bat. You know, the last two hitters of the game were Mays and McCovey. What were those at-bats like when you know that, I mean, those are two guys that are in the Hall of Fame now, and you've got to retire them to yourself make history. What was that moment like? Well, that was where the whole game had gone. I guess I pitched to him just many differently than I had previously. I got mazed on a curveball curve down the way to, to ground to Shannon. Mike made a, a smooth Feeling it smoothly and threw a strike over the first, so then it's down to the last. The only close thing came, I threw a hard slider in on the hands of McCovey, and he got way out in front of it. But he hit a, a mile out there towards the bay, but it was way foul. So then on the next pitch, I got him kind of off balance, and he hit the fly ball to Kurt in center field. I've heard different perspectives before from guys who have thrown no-hitters. Some say, you know, it just feels like any other game. You're a big league pitcher. It's what you do. And some say it feels different. You, you show up at the park feeling different. For you, was there a different feeling that day with your stuff? Yeah, it felt like another day. Another day at the job. I mean, it just, I didn't feel anything special. or Just plain things kind of fell into place early in the game. And things, maybe it, I threw a lot of pitches, and I walked five. I never walked five in another game in my life, I don't, I don't think. So maybe, maybe all the combination of how things fell together. It was a great year for pitching across baseball that year. What, uh, what stood out to you as you watched guys on your team, guys on other teams, just really dominate hitters? Well, it was, and it just seems like it just mushroomed from the start of the season. Hitter, Pitchers starting to dominate, and the longer the season went on, it seemed, the more it seemed, of course, with Gibson's record setting. But you look at the whole pitching staff, the Cardinals at 2.4 or something, earned that average for the whole pitching staff. We didn't score many runs, but we won because we didn't give up any runs. There were very few runs. From the inside, watching Bob Gibson and the year that he put together, what stood out to you as a guy that was in the clubhouse with him about what he was able to do in 68? Well, it, just, it was overpowering. He had outstanding movement on every pitch. I mean, he threw hard, but his fastball sailed, it dipped, it did everything. It wasn't just what you maybe see sometimes pitchers to throw hard, the ball's pretty straight. It wasn't, and he wouldn't challenge it inside. Bob get the hitter off the plate and then go back away or, or had a great slider and breaking ball too. So the combination of those three, just, at times he just appeared to be overpowering the hitters. He had that tremendous mentality. How did that set the tone for you guys as a team, the fact that, I mean, he was tough, and he was taking that ball every fifth day, and he intended to win? Oh, yeah. Well, it was just kind of spread through the whole, the whole team, the pitching staff. We, we all took the ball every fifth day, no matter who the opponent was. That was it didn't, it didn't, with, 
rotation just becomes the opponent. You play, you pitch to whoever was coming up, whether they were right-handed hitting team, a left-handed hitting team, or and it seemed all, all worked out very well for the lot of the pitchers for the team. Well, what I remember that '68 team, the whole second half of the season. Offensively, I think we only hit 20 home runs for the whole second half of the season. So, you think about that today. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Cepeda had 16 the whole year, and he led the team, which is is pretty pretty remarkable. Um, you know, you, you mentioned the home runs and being something you remember about 68. Uh, people remember 67 when you guys won 68, an equally great team. What do you hope people remember about 68 throughout the course of history as it goes along? Oh, I don't know. I just think uh, I know we had a great return a team returning pretty much intact. Except we had a couple of additions that Schofield coming over at shortstop, and but uh, we kind uh, of think we we just kind of fell into place early and just seemed to plug along day in and day out. And looking back, we had a. They played like 30, 40 games in a row. It would not be a big thing back then. Even in 67, we did that. And then again in 68. So without a day off. So just every pitcher took his turn whenever it came up. And, and they were not only dependent on just overpowering because they were, everybody was able to move the ball, location, movement on the ball, and get hitters out. All right, back in our Bush Stadium studios here on the fourth level of the ballpark, and we'll turn to what's happening in 2018. And I'll tell you what, there is only one more chance, series-wise or, uh, or homestand-wise, to see the Cardinals here in 2018 during the regular season. Don't miss Cardinals and Giants here at Bush Stadium coming up this weekend. Series is packed with great giveaways, and they're coming just in time for the cooler weather to return to St. Louis. You could check out a Cardinals hockey sweater, a Cardinals sweatshirt, and a winter hat with flaps made uh, so famous, I think, the other night by Mike Shannon and Mike Claiborne putting out the picture of the Moon Man on Twitter. Those That fur on that hat, uh, it's pretty fun. It's got the ear flaps. Come check it out and get yours. You can get your tickets now at cardinals.com slash promotions. Lots of Cardinals making an impact on the second half here in 2018. So it's not like you can hang it on one person. It's been a team effort to get this thing going and and get the postseason back within reach after a a rough first half in some ways uh, here in St. Louis in 2018. But Matt Carpenter, probably the most transformative player, especially here in the second half of the season. You can't take anything away from anybody else, like I said. I mean, there's some great second halves out there. There's been a, a great debut here by Mike Schilt as the new manager of the St. Louis Cardinals. Some pretty historic numbers in the month of August. But Carpenter now firmly in the National League MVP running. He has just had a sizzling hot bat. That kind of production has worked him onto the cover of Cardinals magazine as a cartoon. You're going to hear what it looks like. It'll be described for you in just a couple of moments. But if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. It is... Uh, Pretty fun, and it has to do with that famous salsa and Matt's red-hot bat. With that and with more, it's Ben Holtmeyer joining us now. Ben? Thanks, Brett. Ben Holtmeyer here, and today I'm with Stan McNeil, senior writer for Cardinals Magazine. Um, Great magazine issue that's out right now. It's got so much news surrounding the team with uh, Matt Carpenter and the salsa and his streak, as well as Mike Schilt, Cardinals Hall of Fame weekend, as well as Mark McGuire. Stan? 
How are you? How are things? Things are good. Good. So our main focus is talking about Matt Carpenter, but um, first off, is there anything else you want to talk about with this magazine? It's got, it's a loaded issue, really. No, there's a lot of good stories in this. Uh, you know, being able to get uh, to get Willie McGee to write about Vince Coleman and to get Bernard Gilkey to write about uh, Ray Langford, I think is a kind of adds a, a neat perspective to uh, the, two of the newest members of the Cardinals Hall of Fame. But uh, you know, when you start with the magazine, this this time I think you start with the cover, and it's uh, it's different because it's an illustration by uh, St. Louis artist Bill Wilson that uh, you know just kind of uh, looks lively, and the the whole issue kind of keeps up that trend. Yeah, that was one thing I I noticed especially was the cover. I'm like, just because I was involved with you guys for so long, I'm like, this cover is different than almost anything I've seen so far when looking at the magazine. And it has that spin-off of Popeye, which I thought was fun. Popeye and a spinach, Matt Carpenter and a salsa. You can draw a lot of parallels between those two uh, this year. Um, so just jumping right into that, um, obviously the, the story is called Hot Topic, which I think is a perfect name for this. Um, jumping right in, though, I and really enjoyed the sidebar about the salsa. And uh, just because it really, <laughs> it really kind of tells the story of it. And you said it really didn't catch wind b- until this year because he made too much of it. He's actually been doing it for a long time, right? He loves salsa, you know, and, and being from Texas, he loves hot salsa, although he says he makes uh, medium because he's not the only one who eats the salsa. But, yeah, over the All-Star break uh, with the garden that Adam Wainwright had uh, kind of planted for him earlier in the season, it was just overflowing with uh, salsa ingredients, I guess. So Matt made a bunch over the All-Star break. Packs up to go to Chicago and realizes that, hey, uh, there's too much to, to leave at home. It's going to go bad. So he takes some with him. The next morning, he takes it down to breakfast with him at the hotel, team hotel in Chicago. Bud Norris sees it, kind of gives him a hard time about it. The carp goes out that day, goes five for five with three home runs. And uh, kind of the rest is salsa history, really, as far as that goes. So did uh, did Bud Norris uh, eat his words a little bit, pun in, pun intended? But did he actually try it and you know see maybe this will work for me too? Bud has <laughs> since tried the the salsa. He put that on Instagram, and I think uh, that was uh, he either put it on Instagram after he had saved a game or before that before that ga- day's game when he did save a game. So yeah, Bud, Bud is a believer, as is uh, Mike Schilt, who's had uh, fun with the topic with uh, with the salsa as well and uh, continues to talk about how delicious it is. That's fun. Um, so you actually did this interview at a basically poolside next to Matt Carpenter, correct? Yes. Uh, you know, I've interviewed Matt, of course, many times over the past several years, and it always has felt like he was in. He had something to do, and we were kind of in a rush. So I, before they went out on a road trip earlier, kind of uh, early August, late July, I said, "Hey, if we meet up in Kansas City, would you have some time to talk about to talk about hitting?" And uh, he he was all all for it. So uh, this was <clears throat> the day after they had an off day in Kansas City. That morning before he went to the ballpark, he's uh, sitting at the pool with his uh, his two two young kids, his wife and his mom, who's kind of there. And we were able to just kind of sit and have a relax and not have a rushed conversation about hitting and, and of course, his remarkable turnaround this season. So, I mean, when you talk about hitting and that turnaround, you know, one of the things that everyone thinks about, this is a different hitter now, but is he really a different hitter? 
Yeah, that's a, a great question, you know. I mean, and uh, you have to give him credit because he did not change anything or he did not if he changed anything from the first 6 weeks of the season to the, to when he started hitting, it was really not much. I mean, and even if you remember how much he was struggling in mm-hmm. April and early May, this is a guy who really didn't show that. I think he might have thrown his helmet down one time, but uh, you know, early May he's not hitting. April had been really cold, and no one really hit that well in April. Still, he was cold in May, so we went to the front office and asked them if there were any numbers that the analytics group could could kind of come up that might show him something, an area where he needed to work on. But as it turned out, he met with the analytics folks, met with Mike Gerst, the GM, and, and actually some of the, the big league coaching staff, including uh, John Mabry and Mike, Mike Matheny, then the manager, and was told that, hey, you're doing everything right. You're just having really bad luck right now. And uh, so he kind of stayed the course. Uh, Soon after that, Mike gave him kind of a weekend off when they went on a road trip, started a road trip in San Diego. Mike said, you know, you're just not going to start these games. Those three days off that Matt had, he says he kind of treated them like spring training, just really took a lot of swings in the cage. Really credits Mike for, for kind of having the foresight to give him that time off. After that, he came back, and uh, the team was playing in Minnesota. I think he went 0 for 4 that first game, and he had three hits that next day. And from then on, he has uh, been probably the uh, most valuable player in the National League. Did you, did you ask him about that at all? We did not talk about the MVP. He's obviously uh, as very well aware sure. that his name has <laughs> been in the conversation and uh but no this was still a little bit early to get to to get his thoughts on that um we talked about that meeting uh one of the other parts that i thought was interesting about this was you guys talk about the shift about how um he had a pr- kind of a unique answer to beating the shift it wasn't necessarily learning how to hit the opposite field or the opposite to the opposite field it was a different answer what did he say I think, you know, and we've seen this in baseball. This is kind of gets to the launch angle aspect. You don't hit, you know, there's just, uh, Matt's point is, in 2013, when he had his breakout season and hit 55 doubles, had 11 home runs. You know, he, at that time, you could still get a ground ball hit between first and second. Since then, those hits, those hits are gone. And I, if you were to track the first six weeks, to me, that was another reason his batting average was 140 on May 15th is because so, it had so many hits taken away by the shift. But now his, he has kind of two thoughts on that. He's looking to hit line drives, to hit it you know, over the shift. He's not going to try to hit a ground ball to the left side. But if the left side, you know, if that if the shortstop or third baseman moves to the right side of second and then the third baseman or shortstop kind of gets too far away from third base, he is going to bunt. I mean, and we've seen him do that, and he's, he's had some success doing that, which has kind of led teams to kind of take that away, and, and you won't see that third baseman playing too close to second now or the shortstop however they work it they're going to kind of protect against uh, pr- protect against that bunt but no he said to try to hit a ground ball to the left side would just kind of defeat everything he's learned and, and kind of uh, developed with his swing did you ask him about if he ever kind of makes that decision to decide when to bunt or when to make to 
I guess that pull call. He, yeah, he said that when he before he steps to the plate, he looks to see where the third baseman is, and if the third baseman is too you know too far from third base, he says he you know given the game situation, of mm-hmm. course, but he's going to at least try to put down a bunt every time because you know he's a leadoff guy. He can get on get yep. on base and get things going, and and you know we've seen that that pay off for him. There's another section in the story that we were talking about. Uh, the one of your most favorite parts of this is the quick hits, where you just asked him some kind of, you know, flash questions real quick there. And uh, the one I actually liked the most, this is just me, was uh, you asked him, "Do you actually? When have you tried to hit a home run?" Yeah, what was? I guess it looked like there was an instance in there where he tried to. And you know, this interview we talked, uh, we were talking within a week after he actually did. So maybe he does it more often than he than he mm-hmm. admitted. But uh, no, I asked him, "When was the last time you hit a?" tried to hit a home run and hit a home run and it had been that game uh, game in Miami where that home run uh, you know was the w- proved to be the winning run in the game and and Matt's point you know I mean it wasn't he just kind of the count was such where he knew that the the relief pitcher did not want to walk him he knew he was going to get a fastball he was ready for it did you um what was one of your other favorite quick hits that you got out of them I thought all the quick hits you know the, the quick hits were fun because a lot of times you ask guys, questions like that and they kind of hedge and they really won't answer but Matt he answered every one of them you know I mean uh, I thought one of them that was that was fun was uh, which which hit against Kershaw meant more to him the uh, the 11 pitch at bat that uh, resulted in the double that key that keyed game six win in the 2013 NLCS or the next year when he hit that bases clearing double off Kershaw, who had taken a 6-0 lead into like mm-hmm. the sixth or seventh inning, and his answer was, you know, it's great to excite the fans here, 45,000 fans here, you know, or 55,000, 45,000 fans at Bush Stadium to get the big hit. But that hit in uh, at Dodger Stadium, he said it, it just quieted the crowd, and he said that was had to be more impressive. Wow. Even. Anything else with the Carpenter story you want to hit on there? No, it's just, you know, if you if you want to, this is obviously focused on Matt, but it's just a good kind of look at hitting in the big leagues as well, I think. You know, one thing that uh, Matt, you know, Matt is, you look at Matt Carpenter and what was he, a 13th round pick as a fifth year senior at a TCU, signed for a $1,000 bonus. So he wasn't like this highly mm-hmm. touted prospect coming coming into professional baseball, but so you don't really look at him think of him as like one of these guys with all the all the different tools but i think he has two tools that are just as valuable as any and one of them is that beautiful left-handed swing that he developed you know in the backyard with his with his dad rick the the high school coach just hours of batting practice and the other one is just his uh plate discipline the fact that this is a guy who very rarely chases pitches out of the strike zone you know and and you you think that that's something that you can work on or not work on but you know talking to Matt he says that's something that you can start working on it if you're you know seven eight nine years old but he says he has guys big leaguers come to him now and say you know how can I work on Hmm. that and his answer is basically you know you can but when you get to be 28, 30 years old, it's something that's really, really hard to pick up then. At that point, you've got it or you don't have it. And if you don't have it, you're probably not going not gonna to get it, at least not to the level that he has it. Wow. That's, that's an impressive answer. Um, other stories that are in this yearbook, 
um, obviously the story on Mike Schilt, and that became probably even larger now that he's the real manager. Was that when was that written exactly? Was that written before or after that call? Oh, that was written well before right. he had the interim label taken off. And you know, the thing that I'll take away from that, if you if you read the story, is I ask him if you don't would get that job, the manager's job on a full time basis after the season, you know what what would that be? And and Schilte was uh, sincere and quick to answer that. Obviously, he wanted wants to manage, but he would do anything that the organization liked him to do. I mean, he learned from George Kissel, be an organizational man, and he really, Schilte really prides himself on, on doing that. And I think that speaks a lot to the success he's had is uh, because he has been an organizational man. He's all-inclusive with coaches, players, front office, the, the, the uh, statistical analysts, the baseball development team, as we call mm-hmm. it. And so that uh, I think that's, uh, you know, something that's helped him along, helped him get to where he is. I feel like you don't hear that answer very often. Is at least not as much anymore. You know, and I think even if you do, I think a lot of times it's lip service. But when when you hear that from, you know, you hear that from Schilte, he says it, you believe it. And then you speak to guys in the clubhouse and they say the same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I talked to a number of guys and they say that he really hasn't changed the way he communicates with them since he moved from Memphis manager to, you know, several different coaches, including bench coach here, before he became the interim manager. So uh, he's he's true to his word, for sure. Uh, last part here, other stories that you think, you know, listeners should really hear about, about this magazine. There's a lot in it. Well, we've heard a lot about uh, Bob Gibson, this being the 50th year anniversary of 112, his incredible 112 ERA, which has almost overshadowed the fact that it's the 20th anniversary since Mark McGuire set the home run record uh, in 1998 at Bush Stadium. So when the, when the Padres were here earlier this season, I sat down with Mark and showed him a bunch of photographs from that year. And he just, you know, you could tell, see how it sparked memories for him. And I think uh, my favorite one was one where he was uh, doing a kind of a press scrum on the field at, at Wrigley in early August. And by now, you know, he's been dealing with the media extensively for months. You know, he, he doesn't look real happy in the photo. He's got his arms crossed and staring straight ahead. But he's wearing a hat from a restaurant in Orange County, hmm. where, he's, where he is from, that a buddy had asked him to wear. The restaurant had just opened. It's called the Abbey. And so Mark saw that hat and just kind of laughed and said, that hat you know, when he wore that hat and all of a sudden that restaurant just blew up wow. back home. They had uh, <laughs> TV stations there, lines around the block to buy that hat and uh, just goes to show. And this was, you know, 1998. This was really before, you know, the Internet was around, but it really hadn't taken social media had not taken off. Mm-hmm. M- nothing like it is today. And no he was Instagram. Wondering, like, yeah, no Instagram, <laughs> no Twitter. And he was wondering, he, you know, he even said, I wonder what would happen today if, some, you know, if he yeah. did something like that. Well, cool. Thanks, Stan. Again, there's a lot in this issue, um, and there's still two more issues yet to come out this year, correct? Two more issues in this cycle, yep. All right, and if you're interested, you can still pick it up. We have some time still here at the ballpark. You can catch it around. You can also see it at uh, local grocery stores as well. If you're interested in getting a subscription, go ahead and call the Cardinals. You can do that at 314-345-9000, or you can also get it online, and that's uh, cardinals.com slash publications. That's it. 
All righty. Thanks, Dan. Brett, I'll send it back to you. Thanks, gentlemen. An amazing thing to think about that Carpenter has done all of that this year and has those amazing numbers and has really lit the league ablaze even after hitting below the Mendoza line for the first month, six weeks of the season. It says a lot about him as a hitter. He has recovered and and shown himself elite status here in the second half of the season. It would be really neat to see him collect an MVP in the National League. Hey, that's it for this show. We are back next Tuesday in time for the drive home. Of course, you can find us anywhere that you get your podcast. Just search Cardinals Insider or check out past episodes at cardinals.com slash podcast. And we're taking your emails, thoughts on the program, what you have enjoyed, what you would like to hear. You can shoot them to me, podcast with an S at cardinals.com. Matt Adams and Colton Wong going to jump on the program next week. Until then, for Ray Washburn, Ben Holtmeyer, Stan McNeil, I'm Brett McMillan. We'll talk to you next time on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.